If you have your Bibles, if you would take them, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, as we continue on in our series, what I call Lessons for Life, Learning to Live for the Glory of God, which would mean not living for your own glory, um, every day in this classroom called life. Good morning. God has blessed us with another uh, beautiful day. Um, do, Do you realize that that God himself is here with us. He's right here with us, where two or more are gathered together in my name. The Lord says, there am I in the middle. And so we welcome the Lord and we rejoice that we gather uh, to, to glorify him in our learning um, and Lord willing through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Um, a great day. We look forward to a baptism um, the last one outside for the season may be a little chilly. I know some of you are worshiping the first service. I invite you to come back after the second service as we identify um, believers through the public declaration of following the Lord Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. Great day the Lord has in store. This is a, a message that is bubbling from within and... Uh, I am in desperate need of God's help on how to present this in a way that he is glorified. Um, And so I trust that you will um, look over stammering lips and a finite, tiny little mind. um, And may we ask for God's help as we learn together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, um, we are grateful that you are here that you are in our midst, <clears throat> you see and know the depths um, and the darkest recesses of our hearts, and that you love us unconditionally, that your grace is without any um, limits and measure, your mercy is overwhelming. We thank you, Lord, for each person. We thank you for this body of believers. We thank you, Lord, for... Um, where you have placed us in the day and the time that you've called us to live in the community that you've called us to be a part. And Father, I would pray that right now your Holy Spirit would just arrive in a fresh new way and that you would anoint this place and that we together would learn how we focus on you, how we follow you, how we offer everything that we have to you. Uh, Father, I pray for other churches in our community. I pray for dear brothers of mine who are holding tight to the gospel. Empower them, equip them. Help us, Lord, together to do a work for you. I pray, Lord, particularly for young people in our community that are in such desperate need. God, I would ask that you would use us any way you see fit to offer the good news and the hope of the gospel. We ask that you'd be glorified now. In your name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Ever since I was a kid, I, I love to collect stuff. Um, I could very easily be a hoarder if my mom didn't go through and encourage me to throw stuff out. My wife does that on occasion now. And um, If you've ever been in my office, I, I collect junk. I collect old baseballs and baseball gloves and bats. And I have gone to great length. None of it is really worth anything. And I have, on more than one occasion... Uh, literally gone back to a, a, a stadium at night and have been inside the dumpster looking for cracked bats that I know uh, were in there and, and have got them. 
Uh, I was at a game one time, at, uh, excuse me, batting practice down in Florida, and a home run was hit, and I, I was running to catch the, the ball and ran into a, a light pole that was in the driveway just to get the ball. And I was at another game one time. They were offering at the end of the season any children under 10 years old to get a, a free bat, a cracked bat from one of the players used throughout the season. And our kids were older than 10, and I was perplexed by this. And so I actually found a little child. I did talk to their parent, and I paid the little girl $10 if she would go and take this bat. Just weird stuff that we go to great lengths for this, these collections that we have. And, and in all honesty, it's, not, it's, it's junk. Like, it's really, like, garbage. And yet, for some reason, it means something to us. In my office, I have just, and kids come out of my office with baseballs all the time, and that's great. But, but there is one thing that is of value, and it has nothing to do with any of the stuff that I've collected. On my wall, I have a verse, and it says from Hebrews chapter 13, it's a, it's a job description that I have, and I've reminded you of this all the time. That, that it says that I am to, and it says that they are to watch for, for your souls, as they will... They must give account. It speaks about a pastor's responsibility that, that I, have to, I, I, I have to watch for souls. Now, if you pause in that word watch, you, you look, you, you are to be attentive, aware, but you're to look for, for souls and look over souls. And souls are what? Souls are invisible. You can't see a soul. And yet I, I'm to watch over souls. People wrestle through the definition of a soul. A soul is the part of a person that is not physical, it's not visible. It's the part of a person that we are creating the image of God that lasts for, for all of eternity. So my job is to watch over souls for, for they will last for all of eternity. And I'm going to give account of that. Uh, the human soul is, is central to the personhood of the human being. It's different than our mind. It's different than our body. It's even different than our spirits. It's difficult even to comprehend fully the soul of a person. We know that according to Scripture, the soul can be lost or saved. We know according to Scripture that the the soul needs atonement. We see throughout both the Old and New Testament that Isaiah says that my soul desires. Job says my soul becomes weary. David says my soul thirsts. Jeremiah says, my soul weeps. Mary says, my soul magnifies. And so the soul has the ability to do all of these things. And yet it's really hard to put our, our finger exactly on it. George MacDonald said it very well. You don't have a soul. You are a soul and you have a body. And so my, part of my job description on a regular basis is to look out for that which is... is, is intangible, invisible, that is eternal, and I'm going to give account of that. And the only way I think that you can shepherd souls is to, to know people, is to spend time with people. And, and I, I try diligently to do that, and I, I fail and stumble along the way. But as I do that, and as I, as I attempted to do that even this week, and I appreciate several from Big Woods who, who minister with others in our community, and we went and we spent a couple days in, in our school system at, at Central Mountain. And as I listened to the news of, of what's happening to people outside of even our own little area, I, I am completely convinced that souls... Are, 
are in disarray. Souls are aching. Souls are hurting. Souls are confused. Souls are lonely. Souls are scared. And, and we, we have a responsibility to speak into that. Now, according to what I see, according to the truth of God's Word, is I am to lead, lead and, and I am to teach and I am to guide people so that they know how to live according to this Word. If I were to say one of the greatest reasons that souls are in such a state of just confusion and hurt and disarray is because they still lack an understanding of who God is. Many people don't even understand that God is with us here today. They don't even know that. Many people lack a basic understanding of, of, of the, the depth of the gospel. They lack an understanding of the doctrine of redemptive grace. They lack an understanding of, of God's love and God's care and God's concern that He is here to rescue and redeem and forgive and heal every single person from every single sin that has ever been committed. It's because of a lack of that understanding that souls are in the condition that they are in. We've done this little series on what I call Lessons for Life, and we've looked at, at areas, confession and repentance. People are missing the idea of what it means to truly truly be repentant before the Lord. So we've looked at that. We've acknowledged that. We looked at the, the, the subjects last, last week of communication and relationships, that people are still existing alone on islands, and they're not drawing in close to one another. They're not taking the mask off. They're not being vulnerable and real and genuine enough. There's another subject that I think is just, is just pulling at the depths of our soul. And that's the subject I want to look at today. It has to do with idea of what success is, of what true success is, and what wealth is. And how there's this complete misunderstanding. And because people are following after something that they think they must do or they must have or they must be in order to be successful, it is completely distorted. And there's people that are hurting all over the place because they don't even understand the purpose that they have in life. That God has a clear purpose for you. God has a plan of success for you. It's just different than oftentimes people think or what the world promotes. God has a, a plan to redeem you, a plan to give you hope. One of the first messages I ever preached, I was probably 18, 19 years old, and I, I preached a message uh, at a, a small little group of people up in Canada, and it was on Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11, 12, and 13. And you're very familiar with this. Every single graduation card, you know when you go to the card section, and then you have to look for the spiritual section, and there's always a graduation card, and there's always this verse from Jeremiah. And we love this verse, and it's quoted all the time. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And you give that to an 18-year-old kid, and they're like, wow, God has an amazing plan, and, it, and it's to prosper me. What's interesting is that we pause there and we don't read the, the verses following yeah, God has a hope for you. God has a plan to prosper you. But look, it's all conditional. It says, then you will call upon me and you will come and you will pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when, here's the condition, when you seek me with all of your hearts. 
Everyone wants the whole idea God has a plan for you and God has prosperity for you, but we don't want the part that says, all of your heart, you come and call on me with all of your hearts. This has kind of been a constant theme that has woven its way through even this last couple of weeks. Matthew chapter 2, we looked at this last week with Jesus teaching what? You love the Lord your God with all of your hearts. He quoted Deuteronomy 6, you love the Lord your God with all of your hearts. God has a plan and it's for success. It's just totally different. You ever travel and you play those word association games just to pass time because you're bored and, and you, you, you name someone or you name something and you have to say the first thing that pops into your mind? Papa, which is my dad. First word comes to mind, Mac and Mango's Pizza. Why is that? I don't know. It just has a connection between my papa and Mac and Mango's Pizza. If you were to take the word wealth, Take the word success. What are the first words that pop into your mind? If we're driving, we're together as a family. Okay, kids, well behaved. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the word success? Money? Prestige? Power? Influence? Comfort? Ease? Luxury? Travel? And, and, and that's the first thing across the board that we think of. And that's, that's not what Jesus has in mind when he teaches. Or there's the opposite end of the spectrum that says, oh, yes, we know Jesus, and, and Jesus promoted poverty. And until you have your clothes that are worn and torn, and until you smell like mothballs or moss, you can never be spiritual until you are just dirt. Is, is that it? There's a text in Scripture we turn to, and Jesus actually teaches on the subject of success and wealth. A great text, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. A little bit of a long text, but I want you to listen very carefully to this. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, See, we have left everything and followed you. What? then shall we have? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, 
In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for My sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There is a man, if you listen carefully to the details, he is rich and he is young. He's got a couple things in his corner right there. He comes to Jesus with a question, and it really sounds like a fair question. It's a legitimate question. What must I do to have eternal life? The Gospel of Mark actually adds a little bit of detail. It says that he came kneeling before Jesus. So think about it. He comes to Jesus with the right attitude. He's coming to the right person, He's eager, he's anxious. It doesn't seem to be that he's embarrassed to come to Jesus. And Jesus effectively says two things that you must do in order to be saved. The first one is what? Recognize your own sins. Now what's interesting here, a little bit of a different approach, he doesn't necessarily give them, give him the gospel. He doesn't really begin and he doesn't give him grace right out of the gates. Instead, he gives to him the law. And, and he even lists it for him, the commandments. If you want this, then you've got to be obedient to what my word says. And this young man has the audacity. Think of it as Jesus says, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. This young man has the audacity to still say, almost with blindness, yeah, I've done all that. Excuse me? So we go back and we say, well, he's young, check. He's rich, check. In his mind, he's saying, I'm already good, check. He thought, he literally thought that he had no sin. I've done everything. I've obeyed all of the commandments. So much so that he says in verse 20, well, what is it that I lack? What is it that I must do? This man refused to acknowledge his own sin. Understand this, first and foremost, you can never have eternal life. You can never have success in life. You cannot even be saved unless you first recognize your own sin. Now, the second thing that the Lord says here is what? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Well, it's pretty obvious that the man was like, "Uh, no, not doing that, can't do that either. The second thing that is required that is demanded for salvation is what? Is really an understanding that you must submit and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus was saying, you must acknowledge your sin, but you must acknowledge the fact that I have the right to give you directions, instructions on how to live your life. That's basically what he is saying. It's obvious that the rich young man could do neither of these things. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had his pockets full. Another another translation says that he went away very sad, exceedingly sad. They are tragic words. 
You're giving up all of eternity because you can't give up some of the tangible possessions that you own. Jesus teaches, and there's an audience right there, namely his disciples, and he teaches this well-known statement, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples who really are beginning to have the light slowly go on, they're like, duh. It doesn't actually say it in the translation, but they're like, duh. Then who could be saved? So I had a lot of questions about this, this camel and the eye of a needle. And there's talk about, well, maybe it was a small gate somewhere that... Uh, a camel had to unpack everything or the person with the camel had to unpack it. The camel had to get down on his knees and go through. No, it's impossible. It's literal. There's another argument that says that there's actually a, a, a scribe who made a, a, a mistake in the translation that the word camel, which is the Greek word kamelos, is very similar to the word kamelos, which is the word for rope, and that they really meant... You have riches. It's just a sense of false security. It doesn't matter how rich that you think you are. Jesus emphasizes this in his teaching all the way through Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, What good would it be if a man gains the whole entire world, but he loses his own soul? There's something bigger at stake here than what you hold on to than what you collect, and what you think is valuable. And I say all of that to get to this last part which, part, which is my favorite part of this entire narrative, of this entire story. Watching this whole scene is my man Peter. Okay, And he is, he is thinking what you and I are thinking, and he says what we would be afraid to say. Now, Peter is what? He's watching everything. He sees this rich guy come up to Jesus. He watches him in dialogue. Okay, he sees him shaking his head. He sees him leaving in tears, sorrowing. He's listening to the conversation. He hears about the commandments and the law and riches and give it away. And he hears about the camel and the eye of the needle. He talks about he's hearing about the kingdom of God's. And Peter says what you and I are thinking because some of you are right there. Listen to what Peter says. He says to Jesus, well, we left everything. We followed. Look at this. These words are underlined in my Bible. What then will we have? You know you're asking it. Well, we did it right. What's in it for me? What, what do I get out of this deal anyway? I left everything, Peter says. What then will we have? Understand this. Hold on to this. Remember this. If you remember nothing else from this morning, Jesus' answer right here is the only answer 
for true success. Okay? Jesus' answer in these last verses is the only answer for true success. Truly. He is emphasizing what? This is a most important statement. It is intentionally for emphasis. Truly I say to you, the Son of Man will sit on His throne and those who follow Me, He's speaking to Peter, He's speaking to the rest of the disciples, will sit and they will reign with Me. Those who leave houses and brothers and sisters and mother and father for My sake will receive a hundred folds. You receive eternal life, inherit eternal life, and those who are first will end up being last, and those who are last will end up being first. Jesus answers the question with great clarity and great boldness. He says, you, you, you want to win. You want to be first in life. You want real success. You want wealth. You want power. It, it has nothing to do with what the rest of the world thinks. It has nothing to do. It is totally different. Jesus is basically saying, you leave everything. You let go of everything. And you follow me. You empty yourself of yourself. You put yourself last. Later today, we celebrate the baptism of eight people. What's very interesting is one of the things that we always remind them before they go into the waters, make sure you have nothing in your pockets. It doesn't do any good. Because what? You come to the end of yourself. You die to yourself if we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Success means that we go to God through Jesus Christ and the work on the cross. That's success. Where, where, where are you with the understanding, with the mindset, with the idea of what true success is? I, I listened and I watched firsthand to hurting, confused, lonely young people this week whose idea of success is all about getting and gaining what they think that they need. Enter the church. Enter the truth of the gospel. Enter you and I. And we have to offer them the truth. Three things very quickly in closing by way of practical points of application. Successful people do not pursue wealth as their first priority, they pursue God. So when you think about how you're going to succeed in life, it's not by the pursuing of more stuff. It's by the hunger and the thirst, by the longing and the aching to follow the One who knows you best and loves you most. Matthew 16, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And lose his own soul. Jesus teaching in Matthew 19. Clearly talk about the fact that there are individuals in this world. Who would rather pursue and secure wealth. And forfeit or secure their own soul. Now is this teaching us? Does it teach that a person today cannot have wealth? Absolutely not. Does it, does it teach that it's wrong to, to accumulate any? No it does not. I think it's okay to have a baseball collection if you want not going to last very long. Does it teach that wealthy people are ungodly? Certainly, certainly not. 
It simply teaches us, reminds us that pursuing wealth as your first and only priority will assure destruction. Pursuing wealth and success as the world measures it is a sure way to destruction. Jesus taught that for a rich man to gain heavenly reward, he would have to take a major effort to unburden himself. And that's exactly what has to happen with every single one of us, and I believe it has to happen every single day. Secondly, successful people see all wealth as God's and not theirs. Successful people, truly successful people, see everything as it belonging to the Lord. It says in James that every good gift comes down from the Father above. Everything. Anytime that you look at what you have, and God has blessed us with so much, with wealth and possessions and financial holdings, and, and investments, and even the, the physical blessings of a healthy body or a strong body or a good mind or eyesight or the ability to move or to walk or to think, everything comes from the Lord's. When we think about what we have, understand that God gave you the ability to earn. God gave you the ability to get up in the morning and go to work. God gave you the ability to speak. It's all the Lord's. It's actually a description that is used in Luke chapter 12 of an individual. Remember the farmer who, whose, whose business was succeeding and he, he built bigger barns and he always referred to, to my crops and my barns. And there's a concluding word. There's a concluding word that God himself calls for those people who sees it as your barn or your crops. It summarizes what? Tonight your soul will be required. Your soul, that which lasts for eternity. God actually says you are a fool because you put your mind and your efforts and your thoughts into your crops and into your barns. Successful people see all wealth as God's, not theirs. Thirdly and finally, successful people do not hoard wealth but instead they give wealth for the glory of God. There, there is a greater blessing and there is greater success when you demonstrate faith and trust. It says, God, I am totally and entirely yours. Paul actually taught the believers in Ephesus that it is far more blessed to give than it is to receive. Knowing that giving away wealth actually brings greater blessing than holding on to it. I remember listening to a very great message on this very subject. It had four points. Number one, you can't take it with you. Point number two, you can't take it with you. Point number three, you can't take it with you. Point number four, you can send it on ahead. And, and sometimes we have to hear the same thing over and over and over again. That's what we're talking about here. And that is so far from the thinking and the understanding of other people. Yeah, but, but how do I but but how do I know? Like if I give it, how do I know? I'm gonna read and I want to close with these couple verses. And I was reminded of this even this week when I begin to fret or fear or worry. What if what if I can't get there? What if I can't do that? Or what if and, and, and I'm reminded it's really it, it has very little to do with me. 
when you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, then you have to focus on the Lord's. Those moments of uncertainty, those moments of worry, those moments of trying to hold and to hoard on to control yourself, your own view of success and wealth. You need to go to the book of Job in chapter 38, and there's this long list, and I've read this to you in the past, and I just love it. I read it over and over again, and it comforts me and reminds me of how amazing and sovereign God is and how tiny I am. God has this dialogue with Job. Job is fretting and fearing. He's listening to the world's, okay, influence and teaching. And God speaks to him and reminds him. He says, I I will question you and and you make it known to me. It says in Job chapter 38, verse 3, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you? He says, tell me, if you have an understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And it's sarcastic. It's this list of rhetorical questions. Or who, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Down to verse 16, have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? No, no. Continues on. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all of this. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Who has left a, who has, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the, for the thunderbolts? To bring rain on the land where no man is and on the desert where there is no man. Do you know the ordinances of heavens? Can you establish the rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here are we? Can you do any of this, Job? No. It continues on. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? No. We have nothing to do with this. God is in complete control. I love Job's response in chapter 40. He says, then Job answered the Lord and said, and this is my prayer. This is my prayer for me, and this is our prayer together as a church. God says, were you there? Can you do this? Do you know this? He says in Job chapter 40 in, in verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small accounts. I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice. It's a polite way that all the frets and fears and worries, God says, I got you. I got you. You follow me. You trust me. In a polite way, he's saying, you keep your mouth shut. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have this and we hold this. That understanding, the acknowledgement of our own sins, and the acknowledgement that God has the authority to direct you and me how to live our life is necessary for true success. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Thank you for your promise that you are here for us and that you, you know us, that you love us, that you provide for us. God, I would ask for forgiveness in my own heart. But when I think I, I need to have something in order to be content or hold on to something else that, that I need to be happy, that is just so wrong. Forgive me. But help every one of us to live with the perspective of eternity. God, heal our souls as only you can from our questioning and wondering, our fear and our doubts. And help us, Lord, to trust. Help us, God, to have faith and to follow you. We ask this in his name. Amen. His name. Amen. His name.